This is the Faith Tested by Fire podcast, episode 19, Making the Transition from Loser to Winner. This is Jim, and welcome back to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. You may have noticed I changed the music, and I decided to do so because I think that the overall feel of the music that I was using before puts a little bit too much emphasis on fighting and struggling. And I know people struggle in life, absolutely. If you're, and I'm talking about in the context of being a Christian, of being a believer, we do have things that we have to overcome. We do face trials and tribulation, but life isn't about trials and tribulation. Life is about discovering who you are in Christ and receiving forgiveness and receiving restoration and moving on to the next stage. So um, I wanted to change the music a little bit, just soften up that intro a little bit. And this is the first podcast in which I've done this. So today I want to talk about making the transition from a loser to a winner. And nobody wants to be a loser. At one point or another, we all lose in life. If you've ever played sports, you know what it's like, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. But I want to zoom in just a little bit closer and take a look at what the Bible says because there's a lot of Christian people who are are defeated. And they struggle in various areas of their life and they face certain um, challenges which never really seem to go away. So over the years, I've listened to testimonies about people who failed over and over and over again, and then they succeeded. So after like, hundreds of failures, they succeeded. And you wonder, um, if you've ever been in that place, what a person in that situation uh, actually went through. So we can relate, some of us, to a point, but... Unless you've actually been through certain things yourself, it's really hard to relate on a deeper level. But my belief is, after having heard I don't know how many testimonies over the years, looking at my own life and examining how I face tests and, and challenges, and the people who've shared the things that they've gone through with me, I've come to the conclusion that, just like the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish— but we already know that many do, that salvation is a gift that's available for everyone. And again, like I said, the Bible's pretty clear about it, that God is not willing that any should perish. That means it's not his will. So things happen every single day that are not God's will. So sometimes you fall into the line, or you can fall into the line of religious thinking, and just come to the conclusion that, well, God is God, so... If he really wanted to, he could change my situation. If he really wanted to, uh, he could uh, heal my physical body. If he really wanted to, my whole financial situation could change overnight. You know, if he really wanted to, I wouldn't struggle uh, in certain areas. I wouldn't have addictions. I wouldn't have uh, certain things that always seem to torment me. And so if you draw that conclusion, 
which is going down the wrong path, right? If you draw that conclusion, then the next conclusion is going to be based upon a false conclusion or a wrong conclusion. And the one that comes after that, based on that. And so then you just go down this path that leads nowhere. So, for example, well, some sometimes God wants you to wait and go through certain things and, and learn uh, certain lessons. And you can take a scripture, um, such as the one where it says, Jesus, although he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered, and try and apply that to yourself. But here's the thing. Jesus never suffered sickness. He never suffered poverty. What did he suffer? He suffered people being against him. He suffered people wanting to kill him and cast him headlong off the pinnacle of the temple. He suffered people lying about him and spreading false rumors. Those are the things which he suffered. So if we're going to identify with that verse, then we got to identify it with it in the context. Now, another thing is, and I've thought this way myself on occasion, well, you know, the Bible says there's a time and a season for all things. And maybe you're just through a prolonged season of suffering. But then, if you compare that, if you have to find a scripture to, ba to back up that belief, now, like the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let the truth be established. It says that in the Old Testament, says it again in the New Testament. So 2 Corinthians 13.1, uh, we'll cover that. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And then again, uh, you can look back in the Old Testament to scriptures like uh, Deuteronomy 19.15, uh, or even in uh, Matthew 18:16, the principle is if one person says something, then don't base everything on just that one testimony or on based on just that one witness. Let there be at least two or three. So when it comes to establishing the truth in the Bible, anybody can take a scripture verse and take it out of context and build a case around it which suits their own selfish end. So let there be at least two or three scriptures to support your belief. Now, when it comes to believing, the Bible is a very simple message. For example, of all the things that the Apostle Paul taught about in the New Testament, he ultimately wound up saying that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, that includes his wisdom, but in the power of God. So... He said, my preaching and my teaching weren't in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit of God. That way your faith doesn't rest in, the, in, in him, but in God. So just taking that way of thinking of, of, of two or three witnesses, coupling that with what Paul said, that your faith should rest in the power of God, and, and yet again in another place he said, I only want to know uh, Christ and him crucified, pointing back to the cross. That was the focus point of his faith. And he said that he had the faith that could move all mountains in um, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, in, in the love chapter. He had the faith to move all mountains, but he said if he didn't have love, it wouldn't profit him anything. So where did that faith come from? Well, it came from his faith in the power of God, which came from his faith in the cross, 
So if you go back and you look at all of the books of the Bible in the New Testament, everything points to the same thing. Your faith is based on a finished work. It's not of your works, lest any man boast. Uh, and so all of the teachings, if you take them out of the context and you forget about the work that was done on the cross, then you can create something that just isn't there, right? So it's the sum of all the parts that makes the whole, not the individual parts. It's, it's the sum of it. So when Peter talked about tests, trials, and tribulations, he put it like this. Let me start um, reading in First Peter 1.3. It says, this is the American King James Version. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us to a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith to salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though if, though now, for a season, if need be. So I want you to circle that, write it down, uh, take note of it, whatever. Let me read that again, starting in the beginning of verse number 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations or tests and trial. So, and then it sums it up in... Verse 7, it says that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. But notice the words, if need be. The words that proceed, if need be, are, though now for a season. Now, if you just look at the way the seasons work in the natural world around you, Jesus used natural things to teach spiritual truths. Think about it. Fall doesn't last forever. Winter doesn't last forever. Spring or summer don't last forever. They're only there for a short, temporary period of time. So, the season for testing is temporary, and it's for a short period of time. And some people probably won't even go through a season of it because notice what the how the wording is there if need be in other words the need may not be there for you to go through a season of testing so i've talked to people and heard testimonies of people who went through tests and trials that lasted 20 years or more and one woman at the end um, everything was reversed to the point where she had so much in the years that preceded that testing. It actually she actually doubled or tripled what she lost during that twenty-year period during the next forty years, which is incredible. Now that is an actual testimony I heard somebody give, but that goes right along with the Book of Job, because Job was prosperous, then he lost everything for a season. It wasn't for 50 years, right? It wasn't for his entire adult life. It was for a season, and then God gave him twice as much as he had before. In other words, before the devil came and attacked. So we focus a lot on, you know, uh, heaviness and tests and trials when we're in the midst of them. 
But if you're not careful, what happens is you begin to accept that as a way of life. And once you accept problems or continuous problems as a way of life, then that's what you actually that's where your faith actually drops to that level. You have a low expectancy. You're not expecting God, an abundant God, to bring an answer to you that reflects that type of um I, I don't know how else I can put it, but you don't have an abundant mindset. You don't have it when it comes to um, health. You don't have it when it comes to joy and peace. You don't have it when it comes to maybe the work that you do. So you understand where I'm coming from? So the thing is, is that, yes, everybody has problems, but they're not supposed to be a lifestyle. We're not supposed to go through a problem lifestyle. There's just seasons or times, and those seasons are temporary. So if life is temporary, then the seasons within life are even more temporary, right? Because think about it. Fall doesn't last forever. Let's take winter, for example. If you're in a place where it gets very cold during the, the winter, when you're in it, when you're in the midst of it, it seems like it's never going to end. But then suddenly when it ends and you look back on it, you think, wow, that was only like three months you know, there's the, but there was the whole rest of the year to counter that. When you look at the trial that Job went through, I mean, how long was it before God turned Job's captivity? In other words, he wasn't in a season of testing that lasted a decade of his life. Another, uh, I don't know, I've heard Bible scholars say a year or a few years ago that they had come to the conclusion that the actual period of Job's testing probably was 30 to 60 days. Uh, another person said 40 days, which is probably uh, closer to the truth because we know that Jesus, when he was tested in the wilderness by the devil, he had to go through a period of testing for 40 days. We know that Noah's Ark, or that time, when the greatest test of all, I guess you could say, came upon the human race at, up, up until that point in time when only uh, Noah, his sons, and their wives were saved by the flood. How long were they um, in the ark for? So you can see that God keeps things consistently. When the will of God is done, um, things fall into these blocks of time. Whereas, contrary to that, on the other side, you know, the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and they died, all of them except for Joshua and Caleb, and we know because of the unbelief. So the wilderness is not a place where you're supposed to be living in. It's a place that you pass through on your way into what God had promised for you. Jesus came out of the wilderness, right? And it says he came out, and he, he came back in the fullness and in the power of God. So these types are symbols or written in the Bible to encourage you. So you have to change your mindset and start thinking that these problems, I'm not going to accept this as a permanent way of living. I'm not going to accept being defeated as a permanent way of life. I'm not going to be a loser, not in the eyes of my fellow man and not in the eyes of God. Because having nothing, being always down, being depressed, being without, is not what God intended for your life. So let's even, let's, let's take it a little bit further along this way. 
Okay, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And I don't want to keep this too long. But... Okay, so it says that in verse number 4, But God who is, Ephesians 2, 4, God who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together by Christ, by grace you are saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show or make manifest the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So we could say it like this, God has grace, God has favor, and he has kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Then it goes on to say, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you take all of that and you plug that into where you are in your life and your situation and what do you have. You know that God is rich in grace and rich in favor towards you. So how could you be defeated if the favor of God is being extended towards you through Jesus Christ? It says, and that is kindness towards us. How could you be live defeated? How could you be a loser in life if God is extending grace and kindness towards us through Jesus Christ? And not of works. It's not because you pray all day. It's not because you can quote Bible scriptures. All those things are fine. Praying is good. You should pray because that's how you communicate with God. You should read the Bible so you can renew your mind and and see where you are as far as are you accepting less into your life or are you open for more and I'm not even talking about uh, material things at this point I'm just talking about um, having a level of enthusiasm being happy that you're alive being able to go outside and appreciate all the things that God's made being thankful for the things that you do have. Maybe not everything works the way it was designed to right now, but there's a lot of people out there that have a whole lot less than you do. You understand when you tie all these things together, the type of life you should be living is a gift. You should see it like that. You should be thanking God that you're alive, that he is your father, that he's not mad at you anymore, that he wants to deliver you, he wants to clean you up, set you in a high place. Not just spiritually speaking, but in your actual life experience. Because all of these people, they weren't all just changed on the inside. They were changed on the outside too. So I think the problem isn't that people don't know these truths, that they haven't heard them. But what happens is the encouragement that we get when we hear somebody else remind us of the truth is a temporary encouragement. Let me give you just a, a natural example um, several years ago, I decided that I wanted to get in shape, better physical shape than I was in. So I saw this commercial for an exercise program. And after the commercial was over, I had all this enthusiasm and all this positive energy going through me. And I ordered it. And I started doing the program. Now, it's not fun running in place, uh, at least not after a minute or two. Um, doing different exercises, doing push-ups, doing sit-ups. You're doing those things, and your body, your mind, there's 101 other things 
that you could probably think that would be more enjoyable to do than those things. But you know that if you keep on doing them, you're going to get a result that you wouldn't have any other way. So you can't develop muscles unless you exercise your muscles. There's really no way around it. And again, you'll always find a lot of things that you'd rather do than exercise because exercise in and of itself isn't fun. It can be invigorating to the point, but it's also it could also be tiring. But I pushed past all that, and you know why? I pushed past it because I had that positive emotion in me that was going. This was a 90-day exercise program, and the program had promised that I would be in the best shape of my life after 90 days of doing what they said. And every day I would go through these videos and exercise. Sometimes I think I was exercising about five days a week maybe between 30 minutes in the beginning and then 40 minutes towards the back end. But about halfway through it, one morning I woke up and I felt terrible. Didn't want to exercise. I looked at myself in the mirror and I, it seemed like I just didn't have the results that I had hoped to have being 50 50% of the way or halfway through it. I wasn't anywhere near where I hoped to be. But according to the instructions of the person who knew more than I did, about getting in shape, he said that the majority of results would come on the back end, that you really start seeing it. And so I, I got to the point where I just didn't feel like doing it. I just felt like going and making myself an ice cream soda. <laughs> Honestly, I did. And, and just scrapping it all together. And then finding another exercise program that would do the same thing, but it would be a lot easier than this one. And that's when I realized that all these negative emotions, I wasn't prepared to deal with them. Because I was so positive when I started, I just assumed that that positivity was the turning point. I assumed because I felt so good at that moment about making the decision to move forward with this program, that that moment I would look back on as this was the day that I turned the corner. This was the day that I made the decision that changed my life. And because uh, 45 days later, all of a sudden, all that emotion was gone. I was just left with reality of what I could see. You know, there's a reason why the Bible says to walk by faith and not by sight. And then again, there's other scriptures that really dig this out. For example, um, the Bible says that no king goes to war. I think it's, I believe it's Luke chapter 14, right around the uh, 30th, 31st verse, it says, What king goes to war makes war against another king that doesn't sit down at first and consults whether or not he'd be able to match the 10,000 men that are coming against him with 20,000, or whether he'd be able with 10,000 uh, to withstand the troops of 20,000. In other words, it counts the cost of what he's doing. But there's no man that builds a house and then halfway through it figures out he can't afford to complete it and the reason is about counting the costs about looking what you have and matching it up against what's coming people for some reason when they get encouraged when they get motivated they just assume that that motivation that they have today is going to be enough to last them for the entire length of the of the process and it just doesn't work that way they're not ready for the negatives. They don't prepare. What does the Bible say that if the man of the house knew what hour the thief was coming, 
he wouldn't get broken into. But the thing is, he doesn't know what hour the thief is coming, and neither do you. So when you start something, I don't care what it is, whether it's praying and trusting God for the miraculous, or whether it's something simple like um, taking on a project around the house, or making a change in your life, or whatever it is, you got that motivation that, that is fueling you in the beginning, but you need to sit down and you need to prepare yourself for the day of battle. Now, maybe it will never come. Maybe you can go the complete route and you just feel up and you're encouraged and that encouragement gets you through all the way to the end. But more often than not, I mean, I look back on my own experience and it just wasn't enough. And I wasn't expecting the enemy to break in. I just thought I had all the exits sealed off. I had a positive argument. I had Bible scriptures that proved that what I was asking for was the will of God. And yet somewhere down the line, something happened where all of a sudden one day or one moment or suddenly, I questioned whether it was going to work. I questioned whether it was real or not. I questioned whether it was the truth or not. And this flood of negative emotion would just come over me. And I just felt like all the work that I had done to get up to that point had just been erased. And so that is the point that you have to prepare for before you get to that point. Because when you're at that point, let's put it this way. Let's say you're going to take a journey, but you're not sure if there's going to be enough water along the way. What would you do? <clears throat> you would stock up on enough water and bring it with you just in case. What if you never needed it? Then it's fine. You had it there. We did that here in Florida during the hurricane season. Sometimes we stock up on certain types of water and, and food supplies and if you never need them, then that's fine. But if the time ever came that you did need them, the person who is prepared would be in much better and a much better position than the person who wasn't prepared. So it's all about the preparation. It's all about counting the costs on the front end. So if you're losing today and you want to stop losing, you want to stop being a loser in and just put whatever situation or whatever part of life or whatever category that you're struggling in, you want to be a winner in that position and stop being a loser, then once you find the scriptures that prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is for you, that God will do it for you, that there's a miracle working at the end of the tunnel, it's, it's there, it's yours. Once you get that today, you have to prepare for the day of adversity. You have to be ready for that time when it suddenly feels like nothing's working. What's your battle plan? Look at the pattern of defeat that you've suffered in the past and how can you circumvent that pattern the next time it, it presents itself. Or that giant in the field. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Every time that giant comes out and starts shouting in the past, when you're afraid or you back down or you make delays or whatever, write it out on a piece of paper and identify what it is that you keep doing that sends you back to the same old spiral as before. And then underneath that, write out a Bible-based solution, one that you can grasp that makes sense to you so that you can overcome the next time you face that giant, the next time you're in that wilderness, the next time there is no water. Make the preparation and be ready. Let me tell you something. In closing, I did this the very first time I prayed for something supernatural to happen. I've told the story before, 
but let me tell you about actually the the second time that it happened. I had a growth on my head in my hairline, and somebody else noticed it. I felt it, but they noticed it, and they told me that I really needed to have that checked out. So I decided that I was going to pray and trust God for healing based on scriptures like Second Peter 2.24, himself took our infirmities, bore our sicknesses, by his stripes were healed. Um, the God's Hold on, let me let me pull up this one reference. My mind just uh, blanked it out. Okay, I'm sorry. That's right. Psalm 103.3, that God forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. And I coupled that with Mark 11.24, about believing you receive when you pray. So right before I ever prayed, I started thinking about some of the challenges that I might face in the weeks or months ahead. I started thinking, well, what would happen if it got bigger? What would happen if it started to bleed? I mean, all of these things went through my mind. Are you going to be ready to stand in the face of that kind of adversity? And I actually sat down and I talked to God about the situation. And I talked to him about all my fears. And I talked to him about what I could and couldn't do. Because you can't please God without faith. It says that in Hebrews 11.6. So I made a plan that I could continually walk in a way that would be pleasing to God. I could continue to believe in a way that would work for me. And I thought about all the different things that could happen and how I, would, how I had to handle them. I got all of that out in a time of prayer, which took maybe about, I don't know, 10 minutes maybe. And then I was ready to believe. So long story short, um, I was watching TV, watching a documentary uh, one night. And my uh, girlfriend said to me, come over here. Let me uh, check your head again. Now, I had already determined I wasn't going to check it. I couldn't check it. That was one of the ways I had to deal with the potential fear. Because if I reached up there and I felt a lump, then I, I felt like my faith would just drain right out of me like blood at that moment. So moment by moment, when I washed my hair, I purposely tried not to focus on that area. I didn't look, you know, in the mirror or use the double mirror to try and see exactly what it looked like. You know, I, I took her word for it that it was there. I had felt it before. But that was the plan that I made. I made the plan on how to deal with the fear before the fear came. And so, a few weeks later, I'm watching TV and long story short, she kept searching for it and searching for it and couldn't find any evidence of it being there at all. And the, the entire growth had completely disappeared. What happened to it? Did it like flake off somewhere? Or <laughs> I have no idea. It was just one moment it was gone. And it's been gone ever since. So you can apply this to anything or any area of life. The principle remains the same. Before you begin on your journey of faith, before you begin and make that transition, I don't care if you've failed a thousand times already trying to overcome, trying to make progress in a particular area, this time do things a little bit different. Take the words from the gospel, be like the king, count the cost, see what you have in your arsenal, see what you have in your army, realize that you may have to face a bigger army and have a battle plan in place. If you're starting building your house, so to speak, 
take out your blueprint, look at what it may potentially take to bring the project to completion, prepare for it mentally, prepare for it spiritually in your heart, get ready, make your plan, do what needs to be done. Let me tell you something. If failure is an option, you'll take it. It's, it's amazing, but if failure is an option, when things get rough, you'll just fold your cards and you'll walk away. So you have to have the mindset when you go in that trouble may be coming, but failure isn't an option. You have to get that on the inside of you, and you have to be prepared to keep it, renew it, make your plan. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I think we're almost at the 30-minute level and 30-minute point. I didn't want to go this long, but I just had a certain amount of information in me I just wanted to get out. So thanks for listening. If you haven't been to the main website, you can check it out at www.faithtestedbyfire.com. This is Jim. Have a great day, and I'll see you the next time.